0: And you follow along as I read. Matthew chapter 27, verse 59, the word of God says, And when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out of in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. And there was Mary Magdalene and the other Mary sitting over against the sepulcher. Now the next day that... Uh, followed the day of the preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees came together unto Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember that this deceiver said, while he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. Command, therefore, that the sepulcher be made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say unto the people, He is risen from the dead, so the last error shall be worse than the first." Pilate said unto them, Ye have a watch, go your way, make it as sure as you can. So they went and made the sepulchre sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. Now, Matthew chapter 28, verse 1. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, and the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and set upon it, His countenance was like lightning, and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel of the Lord answered uh, and said unto the woman, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. I love this verse. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him. Lo, I have told you. And they quickly departed from the sepulcher with fear and great joy and did run to bring his disciples word. Let's pray. Lord, I've read this passage (coughs) several times this week. And it's just amazing. The sorrow of the crucifixion story and the joy of the resurrection story Uh, we thank you for uh, leaving this record for us we thank you for what you accomplished in the death, burial, and resurrection we pray today as we focus on this uh, glorious doctrine of the resurrection that you'd help us understand a few things that can uh, save our souls and better our lives if we allow them to so you please speak to hearts Uh, In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, The empty tomb of Jesus Christ changed the course of human history and the fate of human souls. Uh, There are many benefits we could talk about with the resurrection, but today I just want to focus on three of them. I want to talk about three benefits of the empty tomb. Three benefits of the empty tomb. Now, if you think about it, most empty things are not good. Empty cupboards. It's not a good thing. And in this uh, trial we've had with the coronavirus, when it first came out and people started to get fearful, you'd go into the stores and, man, the shelves were empty. And we're not used to that in America, just the shelves being bare. And people begin to get scared and, and stocking up and piling up. And people were concerned about empty cupboards. Uh, It's not a good thing. Empty refrigerators. It's not a good thing. Empty wells where people can't have water. Empty stomachs. God forbid you have an empty stomach. Uh, Thank God in America most people don't go on empty stomachs very often. Uh, We've been blessed with abundance. But boy, if you've ever had an empty stomach and you get really, really hungry and you just don't have anything to eat, uh, boy, that's not a good thing. Empty wallets. How many of you have been there? How many of you are there now? Uh, Empty bank accounts. That's worse than an empty wallet. And so uh, many people struggling financially now uh, without uh, being able to work and such. And so not good when you don't have any money. Your bank account's empty. Think about empty houses. Empty heads. How many of you know somebody with an empty head? It's just like they can't seem to, to think... Common sense, they just don't seem to have any common sense. You wonder, is there a, a good thought in your head? Empty hearts. So many people today have empty hearts. You see, most things that are empty just aren't good. But there's one thing that is good when it's empty, and that's an empty grave. As some of you may already own your grave plot. You may already have paid for a spot where you're going to be buried. You know what, cemetery, you know where the plot is. But you're not in it yet. And that's a good thing. If your grave is empty, that's a good thing. And see, Jesus died. That's a fact. That's without disputation. Jesus Christ of Nazareth died on the cross. He should be In the grave. But he's not. Praise the Lord. Uh, He stayed in three nights in a borrowed tomb and rose again. But praise be to God, the grave of Jesus Christ is empty. Matter of fact, I've got friends that from time to time they'll go over to Israel and uh, we've never been able to go. One of these days we hope to uh, and just lay eyes on uh, the things, the ancient, uh, sites there and, and walk where Christ walked and, and the prophets and such. But you'll have people go over there and there's some disputation about what sites are truly holy and what people have just chosen to uh, be like tourist spots. But There's a place over there where they call the empty tomb of Christ and you can go there and look into the empty tomb signs a saying that it's the empty tomb of Jesus Christ. Think about this. Jesus is the only religious leader who's not in the grave. Muhammad, the founder of Islam, is buried in a mosque in Medina. Buddha, the founder of Buddhism, was cremated in Kushinagar. Mahavira, the founder of Jainism, which is a large religion in India, <clears throat> was cremated in Pawapuri. Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, is buried in the Smith family cemetery. In Nauvoo, Illinois. Charles Russell, the founder of Jehovah's Witnesses, is buried in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Hindu leaders have died and are turned to ash. Taoist leaders have long buried and turned to dust. But the grave of Jesus Christ is empty. Thank God for the empty tomb. See, Jesus took something that's empty and made it the path to fullness. This isn't surprising when you understand how God works. God's economy is different than man's economy. For example, God says the way up is down because God blesses the humble. God says the way down is up because God casts down the pride. God says the way to be rich is to become poor. God says the way to gain your life is to lose it for Christ's sake. A Roman cross of crucifixion was a symbol of torture and terror for hundreds of years. Yet the substitutionary death of Christ on the cross and his shed blood have turned the cruel cross into a symbol of hope and salvation for the last 2,000 years. Is it any wonder that a grave, a symbol of loss and death, is it any wonder that God can take the symbol of a grave, and turn the empty tomb of Christ into the ultimate icon of power and victory. We serve a mighty God, don't we? God is good. And thank God for the empty tomb. This morning I want us to consider three gifts that are available because of Christ's empty tomb. And we'll look at the scripture here. Number one, an empty sepulcher provides A full salvation see God can take something that's empty and make it the path to fullness and an empty sepulcher provides a full salvation that word sepulcher is an interesting word it's not a word that we use in our language a lot today but the word sepulcher is a Bible word for a tomb or a grave you see in Israel most of the times the tombs were carved out of the rock and the soft limestone there made the task bearable. And then often there's honeycombs of caves and caverns in the mountainsides, and this allowed for them to dig in and then adapt the caves or the caverns to uh, a tomb. And as we study the Scripture, we can trace the burial of Christ by following this Bible word, sepulchre, through the Gospels. And I want you to look at the Scripture here. First look at Matthew chapter 27 and verse 59. And when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth. This is of Joseph of Arimathea. After that Christ was confirmed to be dead, he went and begged the body of Jesus. Pilate gave him leave, and he went and personally took the body of Christ off the cross, cleaned it up. The Bible also says Nicodemus from Nicodemus chapter 3, who... Uh, after that, put his faith in Christ and became a secret follower of Christ, he came and also helped prepare the body. And so these two men <clears throat> prepared the body of Christ uh, for burial. And what they would often do back then, the custom of the Jews, was to clean the body, to anoint it with oils and 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 uh, herbs and such, and then wrap it and lay it in the tomb. And so we see in verse 59, when Joseph had taken the body... He wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, verse 60, and laid it in his own new tomb. Now, wait a minute. Jesus didn't have a tomb. He didn't have a grave. Why? He wasn't going to need it long. He was just going to borrow it. And so Joseph had a grave spot that was close to where Jesus was crucified. And uh, he took the body down and was going to put Jesus in his own tomb. Now, they tell us that the tomb where Christ was buried, there's actually some digging out on one end to make the tomb a little bit larger than it was originally. And many believe that Jesus was a little taller than Joseph of Arimathea, and so he had to quickly dig out more of the the tomb there to make room for Christ. Look at verse 60 and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out in the rock. Remember I told you that was common practice there. And he rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. And again, common practice. You imagine if you have a grave that uh, functions as a tomb or a crypt, and you don't want just animals going in there or people going in there, so they would often cover the door of that a cavern or that cave or that tomb with a rock to keep Uh, people out of there and to protect the sanctity of the burying spot. Look at verse 61. And there was Mary Magdalene and other Mary sitting over against the sepulcher. So as they were doing this, the ladies who had been following Christ were sitting there watching. It's interesting, the ladies were also the first people to go to the grave the next morning. Uh, Boy, and I appreciate (coughs) ladies who are willing to follow Christ. There's just something sweet about the heart of a committed lady who's willing to uh, follow Christ and put them first. And uh, many many a child's been saved because of the prayers of a mama or a grandmama. And many a husband has been helped and brought to Christ through a faithful uh, mom. And let me encourage you moms out there, don't get discouraged. And I know there's, there's a lot going against you and the world's pulling you. And sometimes your husband and kids don't appreciate you and all of that kind of stuff. But man, thank God for you moms who are faithful, serving the Lord. I'm thankful for the, the ladies in my life who... Uh, are serving the lord and who have a sweet and and meek spirit nothing like it let me encourage all of you children out there and you you husbands man if you've got a good christian a wife appreciate her love her show your appreciation tell her treat her as the queen of your home <clears throat> uh, a virtuous woman is hard to be found we see these ladies here watching So we see Jesus buried in the sepulcher. Now, the Jewish leaders were concerned that Christ's promise of the resurrection would cause an explosive increase in his followers if his body were to disappear. So they sealed the tomb. Look at verse 64, Matthew chapter 27, verse 64. Uh, Command, therefore, that the sepulcher be made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night. And steal him away and say unto the people, He is risen from the dead, so the last error shall be worse than the first. Pilate said unto them, Ye have a watch, go your way, make it as sure as ye can. So they went and made the sepulchre sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. Now we won't take too much time to go into that, there's a lot to unpack there, but you've got to understand these people didn't want the body of Christ to be stolen. And people say, Well, Uh, And the Jews started this after the body of Christ disappeared. They just started this rumor that, well, the disciples of Jesus came and stole them away. We've got to understand that Pilate gave them a Roman guard to watch. And these Roman guards had to fulfill their job or the penalty of death. And then they sealed the stone. They mortared the stone in place. And Pilate said, make it as sure as you can. So you can bet that these Jews and these Romans—they did everything they could to make sure that grave didn't open. But the rebellious will of God, or will of man, the rebellious will of man, was no match for the eternal plan of God. I take great comfort in that. You know, if you're a rebel, that bothers you. If you're a rebel, you want to do it your way and you're you're frustrated when God gets in your business and when God changes things. But man, let me tell you, if you have childlike faith, I'm, I'm glad my daddy's big enough to make it all work out. I'm glad God's big enough to protect me from myself and others. I'm glad that He is working in ways that I don't understand. And the eternal plan of God is safe and secure from the rebellious will of man. Now we pick up the scene early Sunday morning in Matthew chapter 28, verse 1. We, we read there how the ladies came. And then there was an earthquake and the, the angel of the Lord and all of that. And the angel told them that uh, Christ was gone. He is risen. I love that phrase, as he said. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Now if you study the Gospels, you'll find out that Jesus Christ told them at least three times that he was going to have to die and be buried and raised again for the sins of the people but they didn't understand that they didn't compute it and then later after this time uh, they actually uh, god turned the light bulb on and now they remembered all the things that he taught them and they said and now it made sense but they didn't understand that many of them were still waiting for Jesus to uh, be the <clears throat> the messiah that would rule from Jerusalem and be a political savior and rule as he will one day for the millennial kingdom. They didn't want a spiritual savior. They wanted a national savior. And God, of course, is more concerned about your soul than he is your politics. He's more concerned about your soul than he is your earthly problems. And so uh, Jesus Christ died to pay for the sins of the world first, and then one of these days he's coming back during the millennial kingdom to rule and reign for a thousand years. Praise the Lord for that. See, death could not hold him. Think about that. Death could not hold the Lord Jesus. The grave could not keep him, and Christ arose. I love the old song, up from the grave he arose, with a mighty triumph over his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain, and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose, he arose, hallelujah, Christ arose. I love that. See, the resurrection is God's exclamation point on the gospel plan. I'll read a verse. Romans chapter 1 verse 4 says, And declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. You see, the the resurrection proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You may have had your doubts before, but how can you doubt now? The man died, was buried, and rose again, and ever liveth. He is the eternal Son of God. And it's the resurrection is God's exclamation point on the gospel plan. Now, what is the gospel? 1 Corinthians chapter 15 tells us that the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus died on the cross in the place... Of sinful mankind. He shed his perfect blood to pay for the sins of all the world. He was buried as a slain lamb, and three days later he arose as a conquering lion. The resurrection makes salvation possible. You see, if there's no resurrection, there's no salvation. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, We're talking about the empty tomb. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, there were some that were saying there was no resurrection, and the Apostle Paul here, through inspiration of God, was correcting them. And look at verse 12. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching then is our preaching vain or empty and your faith is also vain or empty look down at verse 16 for if if the dead rise not then is not Christ raised and if Christ be not raised your faith is vain ye are yet in your sins see if, if, if there's no resurrection then there's no salvation the salvation plan is the death burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And during the resurrection, it proves that Christ conquered death once and for all. Look at 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 54. The Word of God says, So when this corruptible, this is our body, shall have put on incorruption, this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank God for the empty tomb. Thank God for the risen Christ. And the resurrection proves that Christ conquered death. Jesus has conquered death, and now He can make sure that your soul never dies. Think about that. See, folks, the truth is that you're a sinner. Every one of us is a sinner. Every man, woman, and child on the planet, everyone that's ever lived is a sinner. And our sin condemns us to an eternity without God tormented in hellfire. You say, preacher, I don't like that. I'm not the one that said it. I'm just telling you the truth. And my friend, if you never accept the reality of hell, you're going to be surprised one of these days if you end up there. There's a lot of preachers all over this world that they uh, want to preach this health and wealth gospel and Never talk about sin and never talk about hell and never talk about the eternal destiny of the lost. Well, my friend, the the, the fact is Jesus talked about hell more than he did heaven and there is a hell to be shunned. There is a hell where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. And you can die in your sin and suffer forever. Or you can repent of your wicked unbelief and cry out for salvation, resting in the finished work of Christ. As a 16-year-old boy, I bowed my knee and my heart to Christ and asked Him to be my Savior and relied fully and wholly upon His work on the cross, the death, burial, and resurrection to save me. And since that day, I've had the assurance that I'm going to heaven, not because of who I am or what I do, but because of what Christ did for me. See, the choice is yours. But Jesus has the power to keep his word. Jesus has the power. He conquered death. Uh, Revelation 1:18 says, "I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore." Amen. I like it when God amen's himself. But then he finishes that verse by saying, "and have the keys of hell and death." You see Jesus decides who lives and dies. Jesus decides who goes to hell, and who goes to heaven. He has the keys. The only way you can escape hell is to do what He's told you to do, and that is to believe on Him. John 3.16, that famous verse was spoken by Christ Himself. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Faith in Christ is the way for forgiveness of sin. You see uh, an empty sepulcher. Leads to a full salvation. The Bible says we're saved to the uttermost. You couldn't be any more saved. Um, Hebrews 7.25 says. Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost. That come unto God by him. Seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. You're as saved as you can be. You're not almost saved, you're not kind of saved, you are saved 100% to the uttermost. I like that. And then the scripture says it's a so great salvation. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 3 says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? This is a great salvation. The greatest gift God has ever given to mankind is eternal life through simple faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible calls salvation an unspeakable gift. There's no words in the English language to describe how wonderful and precious and blessed and holy our salvation is. You see, an empty sepulcher provides a full salvation. Let me just encourage you, if if you're listening to this today and you're not sure you're saved, man, make today the day of your salvation. Right now, right now. Now, confess your sin to God. Right now, admit that you are a sinner on your way to hell, but throw yourself, cast yourself upon Christ for mercy. Believe in the death, burial, and resurrection. Put your faith in Him. The Bible says, whosoever will may come. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He won't turn you away if you call upon Him now in faith. For His great salvation. We said number one, an empty sepulcher provides a full salvation. Number two, an empty tomb enables a full life. Think about that. God again, the economy of God is different. God can take that which seems empty and make it the path to fullness. Jesus told us that the way to gain your life is to first lose it in Christ. But the way to lose your life is to try to take it. When are we going to learn that simple truth? When are we going to learn that? How many people just going about their life, doing it their way, and you see time and days and opportunities and money and everything else slipping through your fingers, relationships and hurt and pain and suffering, How long is it going to take us to realize that the way that we get everything that we want so desperately is to give it away and reach for Christ? And as we lose our life for Christ's sake, He returns all the things that we wanted anyway. See, an empty tomb enables a full life. Eternal salvation comes with earthly benefits. And I'll tell you today, there's no greater life than the Christian life. John 10, 10 says the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. See, One of the benefits of your salvation is an abundant life. My friend, you will have a better life by being a committed Christian than anything else. I'm talking about them being a millionaire, than having some great career outside of the will of God than living in rebellion than living a hedonistic life just diving into sin headlong running from pleasure to pleasure I am telling you that the, the Christian life is an abundant life it's a full life <clears throat> Satan wants you to believe that you will miss out on things if you follow Christ have you ever felt that way? well if I follow Jesus I'm missing out Well, going to church this morning, I'm missing out. Being a Christian, all the things I can't do. Satan wants you to believe you're missing out. And the truth is, he's right, you are missing out. But not on fun. On sin. And on suffering. And while it's true that sin is fun for a season, that season is short. And the time you pay for it is long. See, when you follow Christ, you don't miss out on fun and happiness. You miss out on sin and suffering. I was thinking this week, I'm thankful for the things I've missed out on. I don't know what it's like to vomit drunkenly with my head in a toilet, kneeling on a filthy bathroom floor. I come from a long lineage of family who, drunkards, alcoholics, And thanks be to God up to this point, by His grace, that's not my testimony. I've never done that. I'm glad I missed out on that. I've missed out on drug addictions. Again, a long line of addictions running my family. I've missed out on bar fights and prison stints and drunken rages. Legendary anger problems in some of my family. But thanks be to God, that's not my testimony. I'm glad I've missed out. I've missed out on divorce, thankful for my precious wife. I've missed out on estranged children, thankful for my precious children. I've missed out on public shame and personal guilt for all the things that I've said and done during a lifetime of sin. And my friend, I'm I'm thankful that because of the grace of Christ, the same grace that saves us is the same grace that keeps us from sin if we're willing to put Christ first. That doesn't mean I'm perfect. Far from it. And Christians aren't perfect. We're simply forgiven. A committed follower of Christ will stumble in sin at times. But he won't fall headlong into it as long as he keeps putting God first. Because the Heavenly Father protects us. Let me warn Christians. You stop putting Christ first. You start going your own way, living in self-will, you get backslidden. Just because you haven't done those things doesn't mean you won't do those things. Because your sin nature is capable of things you can't possibly imagine. You children growing up in Christian homes and you young adults who grown up in Christian homes and you've, you've, you've been kept clean so far. Let me tell you something, just because you've never done those things doesn't mean you can't or you won't. I can't tell you how many times I've had people look at me through tears and say, I thought I would never do this. I told myself I would never go this far. And here I am. And they're sitting there with tears running down their face and the consequences of their sin bearing down upon them. Their life now changed and different because they've done things they never thought they would do. It's only that commitment to Christ that keeps us safe and putting Him first, and keeping short accounts with God, and confessing your sin. You're going to sin. Every Christian sins. But keep it right with God, and repent, and get right, and repent, and get right, and repent, and get right. Confess it. Forsake it. That's the Christian life. The Christian life is a full life. Think about the wonderful memories we make. The privileges we enjoy. A sinful life is a broken life, and a life lived in the fast lane is full of fatal crashes. I want you to think about this scenario. What would you do if someone gave you hundred thousand dollars today? I mean, think about that. That's a lot of money—hundred grand today. Many years ago, we were working with a man. He was coming to our church occasionally. And one day, his wife called me, and she couldn't find him. Uh, She was desperately calling uh, hospitals and police stations, thinking the worst, that he'd had an accident on the side of the road, that he'd gotten hurt at work, and he was incapacitated or, God forbid, dead. You know how your brain kind of runs away with you whenever you have these fears and these unknowns. Well, come to find out, he stopped over at the Foxwoods Casino in Connecticut, and he began to win. And he disappeared for over 24 hours. He stayed there gambling. He got caught up in it. The drinks, the party, the people cheering. Matter of fact, he won a little bit. So they began to comp him free meals and lobster and steak, and they gave him a high roller suite for the night. and. What they were doing was he had won some money, so they were trying to keep him on the premises because they knew they would get it back. By the way, you're never going to get rich gambling. You're never going to get rich playing the lottery. Those places are in business to take your money from you, not give it away. Eventually, his wife found him, got him to come home, he won over a hundred thousand dollars. That's a lot of money. But he lost a hundred and twenty. It's even more money. Did he really win? Did he really win? Oh, he won hundred thousand dollars. But he lost a hundred and twenty. You see, that's the devil's great deception. He'll let you win for a while. But you never win in the end. And this man ended with debt, regret, stressed marriage. The devil promises a fun life, but he steals your soul in the process. He Takes everything good about you and all your potential and all the good that God's put in you And he sifts you as wheat, separating the good and leaving empty husks in his wake. See, the Christian life is a full life. And you might look at the Vegas Strip and see all the lights and the parties and the meals and all of that, but it's a deception. You might look at someone in your life right now that looks like they're so free and they're so uninhibited and they can do whatever they want. But my friend, the bill's just not due yet. Go down to the projects and see people after the bills due. Go in the hospital and see people after the bills come due. The best life you will ever live is a committed life. A life committed to Christ. Let me encourage you, don't be a chameleon Christian just blending in with the world. I recommend that you follow hard after God with all of your heart and soul. You'll never regret it. You will never regret it. See, an empty tube enables a full life. And through the power of salvation, the the power of salvation that saved us from the power of sin now begins to save us from its power in our daily life Through, through sanctification, we can begin to live like Christ. Let me finish by saying number three, an empty grave allows for a full heart. An empty grave allows a full heart. It makes me sad today how many people live with empty hearts. Just empty, cold, dead hearts. I've had people look at me and say, Pastor, I feel nothing. They'll say, I feel dead inside. You see, a godless life is an empty life. You say, no, preacher, I'm saved and I I, I feel empty. I guarantee you you're not putting Christ first. I guarantee you you're not living a committed Christian life with a vibrant walk with God. See, a Christian life where you're just going through the motions, that's an empty life. If you take the relationship of Christianity away, then all you have is a bunch of rules. And that's why you hear people say, well, Christianity, Christianity is just a bunch of rules. That's because you don't have a relationship with Christ. Just like if I never got to see my wife and I never got some kisses and some loving and some good talks and some smiles and some encouragement, but I had to live my life as if I was married with no benefits of marriage, that would be a terrible thing. And some of you are trying to live the Christian life without the Christ. And it makes no sense. All you see is restriction and trouble and I wish I was this and I wish I could do what they do. My friend, because I have a relationship with my wife, I don't need another woman. I don't long for another woman. I have my wife. And if you have Christ, you won't long for the craziness of this world. You won't long for the wickedness of this world if you're walking daily with Christ. But see, if you don't have Christ, a a vibrant relationship with Christ in your life, it's an empty life. If you're not saved this morning, it's an empty life. Your spirit is dead inside. Satan promotes godlessness as a life free from the controls. This world believes that through evolution, we've become like godlike creatures with no one above us. We know that's foolishness. Did you know everyone serves a master? How many of you are self-employed? I used to think when I was self-employed, I thought, well, now I don't have a boss. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. And I've had different companies over the years. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. No, now you have a hundred bosses. They're called customers. Or a thousand bosses. I've literally had people look at me and say in my ministry, nobody's going to tell me what to do, I'm going to go join the Marines. I've literally had people say that. I always thought it was a joke. I've literally had them say that. It's insane. You see, everyone serves a master. You will either live for God and follow Christ as your Lord or you will be led by the devil. See, we all have a master. The difference is who your master is. How is he going to treat you? Jesus Christ is a loving master. God is our heavenly Father. He loves us and protects us and provides for us, but Satan is a hard taskmaster. He doesn't care about you. He'll tell you whatever to get, get what he wants out of you, but he doesn't care about you. He cares for nothing but himself, and he's a thief, a murderer, and a destroyer. Jesus said of the lost Jews that were attacking him in John chapter 8, verse 44, Year of your father, the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because the truth is not in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. He was a murderer from the beginning. Murdered Adam and Eve spiritually in the garden had a hand in the murder of Cain, the first human murder. All he does is wreak havoc and destruction. But yet, if you reject Christ as your Lord, there's only one other Lord out there, folks. Jesus said the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. But he came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. We already read that verse in John chapter 10 verse 10. Who are you gonna who's your master today? Who do you well, I serve myself. No you don't. You don't serve yourself. You're serving the devil who's deceived you into thinking that you're serving yourself. you put Christ first. He's the Lord. He's the master. But it's an abundant life. When you you put Christ first and you get saved and then you, you begin to put Christ first in your life, He not only fills you with an abundant life, but He fills your heart. See, that's something people can't buy. Medications can't fill your heart with good things. Therapies and doctors and activities and all these things can't fill your heart with good things. Some of the most rich and famous people in, the, in America in the last 20 years have committed suicide. They had everything. But they had an empty heart. What's in your heart today? What's in your heart today? Many hearts are filled with fear, doubt, anger, Bitterness, sadness, pride, jealousy, shame. What an empty way to live. You feel like you're getting eaten up on the inside. You feel like there's a black hole in your heart. The world has no cure for an empty heart. They try to fill it with drugs, alcohol, immorality, amusement, education. And you can put off the symptoms for a little bit. You can try to mask them. You can try to forget about them for a while. But the world has no cure for an empty heart. It's like the engine light comes on in your car and you take a piece of black electrical tape and you put it over there and you're just not reminded of it but you're still in trouble yeah. so many people living with an empty heart so you have a hole in your heart that only Christ can fill only Christ can fill right? see Ezekiel 11:19 says and I will give them one heart and I will put a new spirit within you and I will take the stony heart out of their flesh and I will give them a heart of flesh. See, Christ can give you a new heart. Through salvation, through restoration, Christ can give you a new heart. That cold, dead heart within you. Christ can give you a heart transplant. And then He can fill your heart with wonderful things. The Bible says, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. How would you like to have your heart filled with love? Joy. How would you like to have your heart Heart filled with joy, a a happiness, a bone-deep happiness that doesn't just come from what's going on around you, but comes from the inside, like a springing well within you of joy and happiness and significance and love. What about peace? The absence of conflict, the absence of fear. That's the kind of heart Christ wants to give you. A long-suffering heart. Some of you are so filled with wrath and anger. And when you're frustrated and you're angry, boy, the, 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 the anger is like that slow simmering anger just underneath the surface. And wrath is when it boils over. And uh, sometimes we get such quick tempers and we, we lash out so quickly. There's no need for that. What about gentleness? What about just being gentle with people? We live in a mean world. People are mean. Rough, harsh words, dirty looks. What about gentleness? How about goodness? See, the Bible says there's none good, no, not one. But once you get saved, the Holy Spirit can fill your heart with goodness. Faith. It would change your life if some of you had enough faith to get saved, but you've never grown from that. You're relying totally on Christ for your salvation, but man, you're so worried about the bills. You're so worried about your life. You're so worried about everything else in the world. Why don't you just realize that most of these things are out of your control anyway, and you're just going to let go and let God. Do everything you know how to do. Do Live by character in faith. Live by duty in faith. Do the right thing in faith. But there isn't this overarching faith in your life. What a way to live. Meekness and temperance. You see, the empty grave can give you a full heart. You say, preacher, you're just making it sound like there's no problems. (laughs) Oh, you're going to have problems. And those of you that know our testimony, you know that we've had our share of them. Suffering in the Christian life? Yes. Trials? For sure. Persecution? Probably. Failures? Often. But the empty tomb brings a victory to my life that I can't get any other way. The goodness of God provides a joy and a peace through it all. It's like that oak tree standing strong during the hurricane. The winds and the waves swirl. The smaller trees are blown over. Houses and boats flying and huge rocks thrown the mighty oak stands. And you'll see Christians in your life that are going through things, and you're like, How are they surviving? How are they doing that? And yet they've got a smile on their face, and yet they, they seem to have the joy in the Lord. How is this possible? The empty tomb and a dynamic relationship with Christ. An empty grave allows a full heart. We're done for today but I hope you're not done with this thought. I hope it carries through this week and even through your whole life. We need to thank God for the empty tomb this morning. And not just this morning, but every day. Our risen Savior showers us with blessings beyond compare. Would you agree with that? Blessings beyond compare. More numerous than we could ever count. And yet this morning, we simply focus on three gifts from the empty tomb an empty sepulcher provides a full salvation an empty tomb enables a full life an empty grave allows a full heart let's be thankful for these precious gifts this week and of course if you're listening you're not sure you're saved why not take a moment right now you know you're a sinner you know that your sin condemns you before a holy God Do you believe Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for your sin? Do you believe that Jesus Christ was buried and then rose again three days later? The Bible says if you believe that in your heart, not just a head knowledge, not just an, an admission of the facts, but you're willing to take those facts and say, I believe that in my head, but in my heart I'm going to trust Jesus Christ to forgive me of all my sin and save me like He said He would. And if you'll, in faith, right now, receive Jesus Christ, He'll forgive your sin, make you His child. Would you call upon Him? Call upon the Lord right now. Ask Him to save you. Christian friend, if you're saved this morning, let's rejoice. Let's rejoice. Craziness, corona, government, problems... Christ, Christ through it all, and the empty tomb can sustain us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the time we've been able to spend together. Pray that you would be with each one. We sure do miss getting together as a church. I pray that you'd allow us to get back together here soon. But Lord, one of the good things is many churches now filling the airways with the gospel and with the word. And I pray that you would allow your word to go far and wide, reach more people than it normally would. <clears throat> Lord, that you'd save souls, that you'd draw a backsliders back to you, that you would draw every Christian close to you. And may we live not just a form of the Christian life, but may we live in its power. Thank you for dying for us. But Lord, thank you for not, for not staying dead. Thank you for rising from the dead. And we look today to an empty tomb that gives us such confidence and peace. I pray today, Lord, that you'd be honored by what you see in our hearts and by what comes out of our mouths. Lord, bless our church, take care of our needs, bless our missionaries and church planners and all of our church folks scattered around. We pray that we'd be faithful to you during these trials. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, happy Easter to you. Thanks for being here this morning.